Well, welcome to the Situation Report. I have, again, my returning guest, Tom Longo, and that, as usual, we were BSing before the show, and uh, we have a million topics to go over, but I'm going to try and focus this conversation to keep it under an hour so you can get some of your life back. Let's start with your current assessment of the situation, and, and I'll just let you go well, from there. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for the uh, for the opportunity to, to, to sit and chat, as always. I've got a I got a stogie. I got a I got a drink. We're good to go. So I, I mean, it's I, I'm doing this on my back porch, and once it starts getting dark, yeah, we're gonna run out of the light. So we're gonna run out of time. Um, so what do I think is going on? The current state of play is it's still everything still comes down to does the 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 enemies. Sorry, I can't believe I lost this word. The enemies of the United States. And they are many, and they are legion. Do they have both political and monetary control of the U.S.? I think the best way, the best, the the, the best way I've been able to try and um, talk about this recently in a, in the latest um, iteration of trying to explain this to uh, an audience and, and make it less, make it more digestible, is to, think, is to look at it this way: Davos, which is you know the oligarch, the old European and some American money that um, the old European colonialists centered around Davos. Um, they have political control and monetary control over the EU. They just regained political and monetary control over the UK by putting in Rishi Sunak, getting rid of Liz Truss. You know, Charles is now king, yada, yada, yada. They have set up political and monetary control over every, almost every important state in Europe to then run the table with the EU. They have mostly political control, but not necessarily monetary control over Canada. They're, I'm, I, the jury is still out on what's going on in Australia. So in the United States, they clearly have political control over the United States, which is the linchpin to all of this but they don't have monetary control. And anybody who wants to argue, continue to argue with me that the Fed is not actively working against Davos and it's all just one big club and we ain't in it, well, then why are interest rates at 5%? Because well, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think, so there's a prevailing, I don't want to say it's a rumor because that's not really the right word for it. There's a prevailing um, thought that there's going to be an emergency rate cut. I just don't see it happening. I don't see Powell backing off of, making the decisions he's already made because he's going down a route that he can't back off. And he knew that when he started going down that route. Yeah, no. And correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're not, you're not wrong at all. Um, it's, uh, you know, like people closer to the fed than me are saying Powell's not bluffing. You know, the people who are putting talking points like that out there are the ones are toward mostly talking their book. There is no shortage of people in the financial and political commentariat who are talking their book. It's that simple. And, you know, the the idea that Powell's going to do an emergency rate cut, great. No, interest rates don't actually matter here. The only people, if there's a crisis, if there's a further banking crisis in the United States, interest rates aren't going to change anything. We've already had a massive run into U.S. Treasuries. The yeah. uh, the Treasury right now could issue new debt at 
125 basis points under what they were selling it for a, a couple, you know, a month ago, two months ago. Like we're talking to the 10 years at what, 3.25%? So 100 mm -hmm. basis points. And by, by the way, I checked that before I got it. And 150 or so on the, or 140 or so on the two year. We were over 5% on the two year, not what, six weeks ago? Yeah. So about, yeah, six and a half. But I think I mean, what's interesting though is the the yeah. uh, the conjecture that comes out of all the there's so there's like twenty pundits right that you you sit and listen to every day and it's always the same story they have to issue an emergency rate cut have to issue an emergency rate cut what I think is interesting is that Yellen has doubled down on the whole you know the environment is an existential threat which we all know is BS right that's just the Davos talking points but the question right. that I think most people are asking is what's the next what do you see as the next step? So Powell raise rates, he's at five. How high is it going to go? Is he going to six, six and a half? And he's going to go <laughs> as high as he needs to to break these people. Daniel DiMartino Booth is out there saying, and rightfully so, um, rate cuts aren't what's important right now. QT is what's important. Shrinking the balance sheet is what is important. Yeah. Draining, and she's finally, this This is today on, on her Twitter feed, and the longer this goes on, the more, the bolder she gets. The more she talks, she doesn't talk in, like, you know, code. Yeah. Like, Danielle yeah. is she's, very close to the Fed, having been, having been, you know, having worked there for nine years, so she's very careful in how she parses her words. She's dispensing, to and to make this clear to everybody, she's dispensing with the, you know, with the with the Fed speak. She's just saying it flat out. Like, no, she's, she's clearly going after and aiming at the Euro dollar markets. He's clearly trying to destroy the leverage in the offshore dollar markets. This is what's important to him. This is what he's driving towards. And he is willing. And, and to her point, maybe, you know, her point is maybe wrongly willing to drive the economy, domestic economy off a cliff in order to get this done. But that may be what it takes. You know, so, I, I hate to say this, and you'll probably agree with me when I say this. Mm. The the U.S. economy has to be reset. I mean, that's yes. just, it's too corrupt. It's too broken. It's too manipulated. Even the COMEX markets are manipulated to the point where they they all need to die and then be restructured and rebuilt in the first place. And that's, right? that's going to happen on as a natural consequence of what's happened. Okay. Yeah. So I just published a blog post this morning or this afternoon, which is a rework of a post that I put together for my patrons the other day about the, um, the OPEC oil um, production announcement, production cut announcement, right? Which shocked all the markets on Sunday morning. Oh, Literally know, that morning on, on Sunday morning, I was right. I was recording my market report, which is a private podcast that I do twice weekly for my patrons saying, and I, I always go over Brent crude. I do gold, silver, Bitcoin, Brent crude, something else, a couple other things. Then we do the offshore dollar markets. We talk about the currencies, and then we talk about the Dow. And those are the those are that's what I do, like twice a week, every week without fail. So I'm sitting there going, guys, you know what I think about this, which is because like, I've been saying it for months to them privately behind the scenes, and every once in a while in a, in a public interview I'll say it, which is that the oil markets are are the oil futures markets are completely decoupled from the physical demand markets. Now, where have you heard that story before? Gold, yeah. Bitcoin, yeah, right? 
You've so, said the gold's going to go to twenty five hundred and and higher in in the next several months. Year. I agree with you. Maybe 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 faster, maybe slower. You know, the thing I I refuse to do is to be a kind of shill to say, oh, gold's going. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not I'm not interested in that in, in writing those. Headlines. If you if you price it through Ampex today, American I have not metals, through Ampex today. I have twenty three hundred bucks for a for an ounce of gold. Sure, that's, that's how much it was premium. today. Yeah, a fifteen percent physical premium over the cash cost is huge. Yeah. That means there's a shortage. Right. That's now. the highest I've ever seen. So mm-hmm. it's I think it's going to go even higher. Sure. To be perfectly honest. I and and I it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, you know, everything's cyclical and there's timing and blah 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 blah. I just I let the charts tell me what's happening. I have my arguments, I have my long-term structural arguments, and then whatever <laughs> happens to get how how we get there, what what that what that looks like. Well, you know, there's a lot of factors in play and you can never. And the last thing you want to do is try and be a single factor analysis guy because you're invariably going to get something wrong because then we wind up with the push slider to right and, you know, um, linearly project a, over a short run over a long run and go, oh, look, the world's going to end. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just not Malthusian about anything. I don't. I don't yeah. believe any of that stuff. I believe in the law of diminishing marginal utility. I believe in in comparative and 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 human comparative advantages and 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 supply and demand. And those interactions create natural cycles that go along with both, both natural cycles in the physical world and our emotional and, and psychological cycles. I agree with Martin Armstrong about all this stuff. Period. And that's that. Davos likes to doom porn out a whole bunch of Malthusian idiocy. And so do the peak oil guys. And so do the peak everything guys. And they don't understand, you know, because they just can't get around their own. They can't get away from their own bullshit. I, if I listen to the peak oil guys, I would have been, I would have been living in a bunker like 20 years ago when they said the we had peak guys, oil in 2000. Broke. Yeah. You'd be broke. Yeah. It's like, it's dumb. Do a, yeah. I, I ask anybody in the audience who still believes in peak oil, go back and do a CPI adjusted price on the price of oil going back to the seventies. Tell me what you see. It's not going to be, it's not going to be that, that drastic of a change. Yeah. 13%. Yeah. Maybe 14. It's 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 dumb. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you about uh, the, because you've been asked about this all week. So I have to ask you too. So you could say it the 15,000th time instead of 14,999. Talk about the Jamie Dimon thing really quickly. Let's get sure. that out of the way. So Jamie Dimon, uh, big, huge news yesterday. Of course, we froze. <laughs> or whatever. And in there is a short blurb about um, we need, and if I and my connection on my end looks, sounds a little safe, unstable, so I may have to repeat this. Um, that it's we the need- NSA. They're, they're blocking our transmissions. Yeah, no, it's, pivotal it's, a moment. Straight, it's a straight cloud. I'm on Starlink. Or you can blame me on mm-hmm. Musk, but you know, hey, wh- however it works, um, it's still more stable than my DSL connection. Um, so Diamond comes out and says, look, to go to as far as eminent domain in order to get the resources necessary to do the investment we need to get the energy we're going to need going forward. Now, is that a little histrionic? Yeah. But he and but and you'll note the WAPO and the Telegraph and all these British tabloid classic Davosian right to solar panels 
and wind. went right to solar panels and wind farms, ignoring the pipelines, <laughs> storage mm-hmm. facilities, and all the rest of it. So, look, I was going to cover it, but it's you know when you, I figured you'd know you'd have a better a better read on it, but. The, the, They've the been using that, eminent domain. I'll, I'll give you. The, I'll give you my next read on it, Steve. Which is this: Don't kid yourself. There are intense negotiations going on behind the scenes. When Diamond went to Davos this year, put his big ass Greek dick on the table and said, "Oil is going to be with us for the next fifty years, and the Fed is going to have to go much higher than the current rates in order to fi- fix this stuff." That has now he does that. Powell, during the middle of a banking crisis, which Powell and J.P. Morgan created in order to get rid of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and all the rest of them. Then, yeah, bail, said, then, helps, then helps the SMB bail out Credit Suisse to keep the, keep the Swiss banking system nominally independent of Europe. And let, then we Let's stop this. for a second there, because sure. you... You in another interview, I want to make sure we we drill down on this because this was a point, a salient point you made, which goes against everything else that's been put out across the spectrum. And that is, and, and I and I'm if I'm misquoted, I'm going to paraphrase it. Sure. You basically said they shut off the funnel to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank because they were money laundering operations for the elite. And they the seized Davos. those two. Yeah, to turn off the faucet, and, and it when you first time you said it, I was like, "Wait a minute, that makes sense." Because FTX, I couldn't make the linkage to FTX. FTX is the, to, that was the same thesis for yeah. FTX, and the timing yeah. was very important as well. So, and in other interviews, I talked about and blog posts. I did an entire blog post on Credit Suisse, the AT one cocoa bonds, and all that yep. stuff to explain why that had to go down the way it did. You realize that I have to like follow you on the side to keep up with all the shit that you say because you 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 routinely come out with stuff that's like, wait, what did he just say? Yeah. And then you're like, shit, he's got a point. Damn it, I hate it when he does that. Because you're like, <laughs> you're like, fuck, I didn't I, think I, about I, that. Well, what's funny is I, I'm just doing what I have to do in order to constantly create new content. So all I'm doing <laughs> is going. What am I going to write about today? Uh, and then as I start writing, then the brain starts popping off and new ideas come up. While I was writing the Credit Suisse article, that's when I, I it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that that you know Credit Suisse was attacked because it was a potential um, reverse poison pill to destroy the company and to get control of it because the 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 AT one bonds right were conditionally convertible into equity right. If the company goes bankrupt or you know gets in gets into trouble, they can be converted into equity. Well, after you, when you, whenever you, if if you're the owners of these bonds and you want control of the company, what do you do? You start a whisper campaign that the company that the bank that there's going to be a bank run. Then you tell all your friends to pull your money pull their money out of the bank. And then during the height of the crisis, you say things like, "Well, no one's going to do business with you anymore because you're going under," which is exactly what happened. And then you expect. To be able to pick the company up now at 10 cents on the dollar, the value of your bonds stays this. The par value of your bonds that you get converted into equity stays the same, but your percentage of the current market cap of the company that you just trashed from, say, $100 billion in value to $10 billion in value. I'm I'm just picking up numbers with credit. Now, all of a sudden, your $17 billion position 
is now a 60% is now, you know, is now 17 out of 27. Okay. So yeah. you're now the majority shareholder in the company. You're now a 60% shareholder in the company, roughly, or 58%, whatever, 17 over 27 is using my math, right? Which if explains I, if why I they broke this the talking law. Point, I would use better math, right? I would use 17 and 34, <laughs> but I didn't prep this talking point. I just create this shit off the top of my head. So, and anybody buying Credit Suisse would have to deal with the same problem. And because Credit Suisse is in trouble, the entire banking sector is in trouble. So UBS went from a $90 billion market cap during before Silicon Valley Bank collapsed to a $56 billion mark, uh, market cap. So anybody who, if they buy Credit Suisse, they, the, the holders of the AT1 bonds would have been a 30% owner in the new Credit Suisse UBS hookup and probably the majority shareholder and then could turn around and say, we want four board seats and blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, what does that do? These are the two biggest commercial banks in Switzerland. They are the primary mechanism by which the Swiss National Bank transmits monetary policy to the market. Potentially in the hands of who? the very people who were trying to take them over in the first place. It was a hostile takeover attempt, which was then thwarted when the Swiss National Bank stepped in, read the clause in the AT1, Swiss AT1 cocoa bonds prospectuses or you know, covenants that said, oh, yeah, but under extreme duress, we can write these to zero and make the, and make the shareholders whole, roughly speaking, whole, but write you assholes to zero. Yeah, and that, and that explains why they broke. And that's the law exactly what happened. To, yeah, that's exactly it explains why they broke the law to to merge those two banks. It was really just a, you know, a way to save them from losing control. Right, and so yeah, that's great to watch. And, and and apparently the Fed was in there, was consulted about all of this, and the kicker for this entire thing was, and I, you know, I, I I love Zero Hedge. They've been very good to me over the years. No argument. But they are completely dead wrong about what's going on between the Fed and Davos. So in their article, which I linked to in my article, explaining what happened with, the, with all of this, the nugget that was important was like, it was like I was reading a Bloomberg article. It was buried on graph 15 towards the end of the article. They were all doom porn and stuff up top. And yeah. look, look at what the Fed has done. And oh my God, and blah, blah, blah. blah. And then at the bottom, and they're explaining everything that happened. And at the bottom, a little two sentences that said, and the ECB and the European regulators weren't consulted on this at all. When I talked to Pascal Nishadi, a prominent Swiss banker, about this, and I told and he was, he and I were chatting about this, and I said, and, 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 and he was very blackpilled about it. And then I said, by the way, Pascal, they didn't consult the EU on this. And he, Except I really, I'm like, yeah, really. It's like, oh my God. You can almost see him go, I must recalculate. Like yeah. it's <clears throat> the, it, all of a sudden it looks different and then it becomes a more interesting problem. I, I know what that feels like because when you talked about Silicon Valley bank, I thought it was a land grab by the fed to, to grab the cryptos and get, get control. Well, of the it was both. It was to get rid of, the crypto, not the Bitcoin, but the crypto, right? Make the distinction between Bitcoin and crypto. Bitcoin is different. It's a bearer asset. All these crypto, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists oh. aren't wrong. All these shit coins 
are just that, okay? They are tokens created to create synthetic dollars. Stable Powell has been very explicit about this. The Fed has been pretty explicit about this. They consider Bitcoin a commodity. They've not. Yeah, that's interesting. They've that's not interesting. Changed their their view on this, but stable coins. Oh, multiple times has Powell come out and said, "Look, stable coins are a problem. Why? Because they're synthetic dollars. They're just euro dollars, but as opposed to existing in a Hong Kong bank." or a Dusseldorf bank, or a London bank, they exist in cyberspace. That's what's it's interesting all, to me about it. 99% of all euro dollars are freaking digital anyway. And worse, they're just credit claims, as Jeff Snyder rightly points out, for real dollars. What do, okay. you, think, what do you think USD coin is, or Terra Luna, or any of this stuff is? Well, the None reason why I bring it up is... It, this is so. This is a good place to talk about it. We'll get back to Jamie Diamond. Trust me, I haven't. I haven't lost that that threat. No, because... I, I, look, as far as Diamond is concerned, I think there's just intense negotiations going on between between the New York boys and Davos at this point, and he's throwing them a little bit of a bone. That's it. Yeah, but what's what's the negotiation? Because uh, it, the the negotiation I, is we let you guys we let you guys live. See, I'm. I'm in the military <laughs> camp right now where the colonel comes out and says, nope, we need to crush their ability to control anything on the planet for good, period. Full stop. I know, but they, they, but they, they may just... not be, I know, Steve, but they may not be able to pull that off. I hope they can, because really the, the Fed can only do so much and the bankers can only do so much. Then it's in the hands of the political arena where they don't have any real control. They only have, um, they only have influence. Yeah, we yeah, but we've got a bigger problem politically on our side than on their side. Yes. You, do you want to hand this over to a bunch of shitbags in the uh, in the regime right now to to screw up? Because I can't I can't imagine handing any of this over to Yellen. The only thing I want to see happen. No, Yellen is, is Yellen is one of them. Yellen's the biggest. Yellen's the biggest Debosian of all. She was the one that's my point. to run the friggin' first to run the San Francisco Fed and destroy it and allow them to run hog wild during two thousand eight. Remember. Everything that bad that happened in 2008 happened under the auspice and the regulatory arm, the regulatory um, um, pur purview of the San Francisco Fed, headed by whom? Janet Yellen. Yeah, countrywide, she needs to go away. all of that stuff, all those yep. stupid two percent jumbo loans that they, you know, I remember, you know, I remember selling my house to my next door neighbor in Gainesville, in. 2003 and she's like yeah we're gonna get we can, i get a note for two percent from a bank in california to just buy the house outright i'm like i can't get two percent how are you doing it? oh well i got a bank out in california that'll give me two percent however much money i want i every time you say her name I'll, i just want to see her head explode that's that's all I can say. She just drives I hate me crazy. To say this, but comes out of you want to understand that she is president right now, for all intents and purposes. She and Obama are running the country. She's yeah, that doesn't policy. sit well either. She's setting trade policy. The the Treasury Secretary is running the country, and that's dangerous in and of itself. So, well, Agreed. let's get back to this. so Jamie Dimon threw was throwing the Davos crowd a bone for to negotiate what their you know stake is going to be. I guess. 
And well, well, how do you yeah. see that playing out? Because I think ESG needs to die too. I think that I, I, I think I think Diamond believes in that, but he has to give lips. Remember, a lot of this he has to give lip service to. He has traders within his or, or his own organization. I have this on good authority from people who, you know, have worked inside JP JP Morgan and you know oh, just no in, in and around Wall Street. There are there are plenty of execs within that company who are disloyal to the United States. And they're powerful. Those are called communists, and they need to be purged and executed for treason. I, I, agreed. That's, that's but, how that has to work. So, agreed. But you, but in, but you've got to turn the entire zeitgeist against them, and we don't have that yet. We're getting there. It's getting. I better. think it's coming. It's coming. I agree. But yeah, it's but it's, this it's, is a slow boat to turn. You're trying. Well, to turn you're turning the Titanic carrier. with a toothpick. I yeah. mean, come on. You're trying. You're trying. Somebody's to back to with a to an aircraft carrier in the, in the Panama Canal. Yeah. It may take a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I agree. I don't disagree with that. I think, uh, you know, the the piece that I get asked about a lot, you probably don't get this question because yours is all, you know, financial based. But the question I get a lot is, what about all these military aged Chinese males coming across the border? And, you know, what do you think they're going to do? And there's a whole bunch of scenarios you can go down the rabbit hole in, right? This is This is in the same genre as that. It's which scenario do you think is going to show to the top once the dust settles? And the truth of the matter is, I think it's too early to tell. I think I, 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 I don't have a good read on this. I, I All I can tell you is the, the following. You can spin whatever scenario about China's demographics, about this, about all, about the CCP's health, about all of this stuff. And 90% of what we spin out has serious nuggets of truth to it. If not, Peter Zahan wouldn't have a business. Because there's nuggets of truth and everything that everything that jackass spins, but I got news for you: none of his conclusions are right. Right? Well, because they they disregard logistics, right? Yeah, every yeah. time that egghead speaks, he disregards logistics, and that's the part that gets that that's the part that for a guy like me gets under my skin. Because the right. wars are wars are won and fought, and part they're they're partially executed through logistics. You can't yes. do anything if you don't have supply chains and. You're talking about five to 10,000 miles of supply chains that the Chinese have to endure. They're not going to get those resources here. Well, I, let's face it. They're just not. So the, the overall the, fear porn invasion thing is not something I think is on the table. I no, think the, what the, is, is... It's a cultural is, invasion. No, the, yeah. the enemies of the United States are lining up to undermine the institutions. And they're and I don't believe they're coordinated. But I does any, would anybody blame Russia? For launching cyber attacks against, for example, our commercial air, uh, commercial aviation space, of course not. Like, you know, would the would anybody are would anybody blame the Russians for doing any anything imaginable to the United States at this point, short of nuclear? No, right. No. Just like the, China, the Chinese, they, I think. Okay, so let's just go down the list. But all of them have different agendas. Some of their Venn diagram of their agenda overlaps and then if you focus on where that all overlaps you go see they're all working against us yeah but that's 10 percent of their of of each one's agenda that overlaps davos clearly wants control over the global monetary system and understands that the way you do that is by having both political and monetary control over the united states and therefore then you have full control over the military and every and every other aspect and then they can use that to un- to destroy all three of those institutions at the same time, and the legal system, indicting Donald Trump for no reason, for for no for for not a crime, and and and, and 
while promoting trannies and yeah, I mean, and, and all of this stuff. And it's all being done on purpose. And are the Chinese helping? Of course they are. Are the Russians helping a little bit? Probably. But at the Absolutely same time, they're coming out and going, you people are getting degenerate. We're just, we just don't want, we don't want anything to do with you. Well, and it's, I want to add a caveat to that. About Europe as well. I want to add a caveat to that because you're, you're spot on about the fact that Chinese have a vested interest to, to infiltrate all of our institutions and start a color sure. revolution. It makes sense for them. But you only move military-age males into an into somebody's AO if you plan on doing kinetic ops of some kind, mm-hmm. whether that's disruption ops, whether that's sabotage. I mean, there's no coincidence that there's large swaths of Chinese, Chinese property next to our military bases. That's not a right. coincidence. There's no coincidence in the fact that all these trains derailing have, you know, specific points where they're being derailed. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're literally slowly but surely dismantling the rail system in the country at key points. And that's I don't think that's our government or the FBI doing that. I used no. to think that, but I think this is all foreign actors, probably Absolutely. the Chinese doing we, this. We can argue whether it's China. Davos, the Russians, or a combination of all three, consecutively, Probably all three. Concurrently, concurrently yeah. and contemporaneously, and without where coordination, was... but but un- but in an uncoordinated manner. Agree. Where I where I was going with that though is is that there's a number of scenarios we could play out there, right? But it's the 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 eggheads it's strapped for every time they come out with some new line of horseshit because it usually is a line of horseshit. Oh, absolutely. It's everybody looking over here like, oh, China's China's population is going to collapse in 10 years. They've been saying that for 25 years. That's going to collapse. I can remember back when I was a lieutenant, they were talking about that. Same with the Russians and it never materialized. So that part of his discussion is BS. It's the logistical side. I'm never, I've never been a fan. I've never been a fan of demographic analysis. I say this all the time. I argue with my partner Dexter White about it, about this all the time. I'm not a big fan. But to Dexter White's point, and I will make this point for him. Um, because he's also talked about this certainly in our newsletters and and you know discussions um, in the past and every once in a while when he's been on our podcast, which is he's more worried about a, chi- a lean mean China with 800 million people than he is a, a China with 1.5 billion people. Because once you get rid of all the quote unquote useless eaters, now all of a sudden the communists have a have don't have the inefficiency overhang that they that they would have had. So it's almost like. You have to be careful what you wish for. There's yep. a demographic collapse in China. Well, it, again, but it could go any, any number. I, I mean, I, I say that I don't, this is not my talking point. Okay. It's an, it's an argument and it's an argument for us to chew on. Okay. I have a, I have a counter argument. Martin Armstrong has been saying for God knows how long that Socrates is saying that 2032, when this 390 year, 0.6 year cycle dies, it, it culminates. Well, you know, capital is going to shift to China. It's going to become the it's going to be the the, the the center of global capital, not because for any other reason than because we self imploded, and we allowed ourselves to be taken over from within, and we allowed our our own self hatred to define ourselves. So now, does that happen with the CCP in power? I don't think so. I don't either. But I can see the CCP either. collapsing in the next ten years. And a new system arising in China. Because remember, and I've made this point many times, and I've talked with multiple people on my podcast who have a better sense of history in this than I do. Alistair Crook, Matt Arrett, Joaquin Flores. I've talked to many of these people about this. And this is their focus as 
as commentators. It's not the financial markets. It's not that's not that's right. not their gig. Their gig is these civil the civilizational aspects of the, of the history of these things. And they all say the same thing. Russia, China, Iran are civilizations who can can have a continuation of civilization under different systems because the civilization Russia, China, Iran exists here and the system supports that and they can change the system without the people betraying the ideals of China. They, they're very flexible in their in their view of what system they live under because it's yep. still, we are Iran, we are Russia, we are China. The United States doesn't have that. Europe absolutely doesn't have that. They've never had that. It, Europe's history is nothing but 2,000 years of internecine wars. Yep. That, that's, yep. Yeah. And the fourth yeah. turning applies to them as well as it does to us too, right? And the, it, the premise of the whole the whole theory is that not just the system dies, but the culture is transformed as well because we don't yeah. have a cultural base that's consistent. And and that's been probably one of the only cultural aspects about China that I think – I think the CCP dies in the next six years. I I, I don't I, see I, I don't put an, I don't put a time around. frame on it, but that's a that's a that's a perfectly reasonable guess. You know, I don't know, I don't know. the two guys I don't know what next the over under to... is on the CCP, but you know, but it's a but it's clearly in play. Yeah, is the is the two guys around G what's that hate each other? The two guys around G hate each other, hmm. and he's put those guys, two of those guys, in key positions. And typically, how that plays out is. Is Xi gets sick, one of those two guys start fighting for control, and then the whole system just tears itself apart because those two guys are doing a land grab. And Xi has killed off all of his anybody that was even remotely close to being opposition. So I don't see him sticking around very long. And maybe it's 10 years. I'll be for for argument's sake, 10, 15 years max, but I don't know. I, I see a hey, lot let's of things. Let's run with apart. Martin Armstrong's number. Let's call it nine. Okay. Uh, yeah. I can go or, with that. Or, or better. Your number of six makes sense because the system, the CCP would have to collapse and a new system would have to emerge and would need at least 18 months to two years to start stabilizing. That's where I got six from. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> math. There you go. Fair <laughs> enough. And that's, and that's, and that's why I'm like, I'm not arguing about six. It could be five, it could be four. You know, yeah. it, I, 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 but, but here's it the just thing. cracks me up though. But here's the thing at the same time, is our system that resilient? When no. we have active vandals running around trying to destroy it, when they're well, that's, I think that's so. There, I've had this conversation too, right? So, I think you're you're spot on with regard to the resiliency of our society, but I think the thing that that we have forgotten, I know, has been forgotten by generations after you and I, is the struggle, because. The, the Great Depression redefined the entire culture of the country because mm. you had entire, literally entire communities that moved out of homes and were living in cars and tents for the better part of 10 years. And that kind of struggle we haven't endured for over 70 years. Right. There's a there's entire there's entire generations that have never had to do without anything. Amen. So that that redefinition in addition to the vax deaths and everything else that are going to be in front of us is going to redefine not just our country but redefine the the left and right boundaries of what people are willing to accept for generations exactly. i agree i agree completely 
it's a, how that it's shakes a, out who knows who knows but it's but i can it's tell gonna you suck that for a while i can tell you that the kids that you know i can tell you that like we're we're dealing with we're dealing with two generations behind me the millennials and the, and the zoomers and from the fourth generational model the zoomers start in 2006 which is the year my daughter was born and she's about to turn 17. not what they, they they're trying to like break those they're trying to break the millennials up into two different generations when they're really not the millennials go from around 82 to two it's a very long generation from the fourth turning model um yeah and um again you know salt all this analysis to taste but those kids are going to be naturally much more cautious naturally much more willing to you know run whatever system is put in place my my daughter's generation that the millennials put in place the millennials are split down the middle between being shitbag marxists and ultra cynics yeah yeah they are i believe for once you and i are actually on the same page i think it's 50 50 exactly because there's Steve, no there's no middle ground. Right? I I bring I, again I bring this up so many times. My only real social you know contact in the real world is my board gaming group, which meets every Wednesday and and every every third Saturday. So we see each other. We spend every Wednesday night together from five to eleven. Six, so I spend 35, 40 hours a month. And then sometimes you know, I have them come over to my house or I'll go over to their house. And we'll play board games. It's split right down the middle between OGs my age and slightly older and millennials in their early, to, early 30s to late 30s. Okay? And you can see the split within the millennials themselves. Yeah. Because they don't know what to think. They don't have a controlling ethos because they were stripped of their controlling ethos as children. And so they're floundering, you know, in a, in a, in an, I, I think I'm using the right word here because my philosophy and, and my, I think their epistemology, their epistemological base is so weak that they don't know what to believe. They just know that what they've been taught is a freaking lie. Yep. And they also know that what the what's what's standing, you know, what's in front of them. And I know that what Davos has done and what the commies have done and said we're gonna divorce you from any previous epistemology. And this is part of what the whole Trump indictment. I wrote about wrote about this the other day, you know, and the older generations, the guy like guys like Jonathan Turley saying, look, it's just never been done that we've indicted a president over such idiotic shit. I'm like, yeah, that's the point of this exercise. That which is just not done is what's actually on trial here, not Donald Trump. The past is on trial. The yeah. old systems are on trial. The old ways of doing everything. It's almost like yesterday is terminally evil and irre- irredeemably evil, and only tomorrow brings the promise of something better. Well, that's what they're and trying to sell, but that bullshit that's exactly isn't selling, what they're trying right? To sell. Because the... It's exact well, that's the communist system, right? You replace all the old ideology with this new ideology, 
and it doesn't match what the millennials are seeing in front of them. Right. I get that comment all the time. Like, you know, I, I, they're saying this, but I don't see any of it. That's because it's all horseshit. They're trying to get you to just, you know, dissuade you from believing in anything that your parents have told you and believe this new model of bullshit that they're trying to sell you, but where they're disconnected. And again, this is where, this is where communists all always fall apart. They're great at infiltration, but they suck at complex ops. And this is a complex operation that requires not just there has to be follow through, and there's no follow through when you it's see not, the. Well, it's not, you're, you're trying to sell people a lie. Yeah, and lies well, are there has to be to follow through for the lie to be believable, right? Right. Well, like if, again, look at this. Because most people aren't morons. And they can, they, you, <laughs> you know, can make that case day, either way. Go, okay, the math doesn't work. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's where I think so it's going to be their undoing. So they're confused and rightfully so. And, you know, part, and, and, and in some ways they just, they're like, okay, well, I, I, I've been taught I should believe these things, feminism or this or whatever it is. But at the same time, they're like, yeah, but it's all not working properly. And they're still like, you know, I don't know. It's just I find the whole, I find the interactions with them very, very difficult. I and we don't talk politics, and when we do, it's never good. So I try not to talk politics. But they all know what my yeah. politics are. But at the same time, you know, even the ones who are like, I, I politically, I know di diametrically opposed to me, are still ecstatic for me that my business is doing really well because yeah. they respect me, even though they might not. So I've at least we're not dealing with you disagree with me, therefore you're evil and need to be purged. Like, and yeah. that's where the connection is what's important and why it's important that we don't get lost in these abstract discussions and still always bring everything back down to you're a lovely person. I like you. If you need my help one day, call me up, whatever keep the connections real and what do you have from davos constantly trying to say well here are your talking points for, for when you go into thanksgiving to deal with your maga uncle and 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 be and, and take apart all of his talking points about trump or this or that like and they're just spoon feeding this stuff to them because you know i used to make the joke all the time like you know millennials you know just think that you know they don't know anything but until they google something and now they know everything you know, just because they Google something now, they, they, they think they have knowledge. Like, uh, no, like knowledge doesn't come from being able to fact check you. It well, comes, I, 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 uh, I can tell you this. philosophical and, you know, epistemological yeah. base that matters. Well, I will, I will tell you this because my my youngest and I are diametrically opposed when it comes to political views. Sure. And um, the kid knows that it knows exactly where I stand on everything. Like there's no dichotomy and all our friends do too. Mm -hmm. But a funny thing happened when we, when we withdrew from Afghanistan, there's, there's a dichotomy in the millennials that people don't realize is there. And I don't even think they realize is there. And, and when Afghanistan went down, my kid called me and said, dad, what the fuck is going on? You're going to go over there and get people. Right. And I'm like, we're working missions right now. I'm trying to get over there right now. We're trying to get through state, trying to get get clearance to get weapons and everything and get on a plane and go meet the plane in Dubai and go. And she's like, you go over there and get people right. And I'm like, okay. But it's all 
all their friends, same exact same mindset. I mean, exact same mindset. And it's the dichotomy that they they don't want to believe in this this patriotic side of the country, but by the same token, they don't want to see Americans left on the ground. And it's and they don't know why. And it's it's the struggle that you see with them, and I see this every day, is they want to believe in something bigger, but everything that they've been told is bigger is bullshit, and they know it's bullshit, and they're trying to reconcile that. Look at Roe v. Wade. There's mm-hmm. still it's an existential threat right now because when Roe v. Wade and women are not able to get aborted, then they have to go cross border. Then it's really an existential threat. They don't even know why it's important, other than they've been told that people in other states where it's banned are not going to get the, the care they need, which is all horseshit. The whole storyline is BS, right? But it shows you the dichotomy in that age group that they don't they don't really know what to believe in, but they want to believe in something bigger. They want, they yeah, want no, to be a part of something bigger. They, they do. And, you know, and this is what and this is what happened. Remember, I'm the first generation that was divorced from that who who were attacked to be divorced from their cultural upbringing, so to 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 uh, reject God, to reject you know all of this stuff, and then that way they can you can divorce them. You can divorce your kids and separate the kids from the parents, and then we we got lucky because there were still you know there were still some people and telling stories that didn't suck. You know, and I'll, you know, forever in George Lucas's debt because Star Wars is a foundational idea. <laughs> right. And I'm dead serious when I say that. that no, no, I'm laughing because I'm a when like everybody you loses, When you lose your religion, right? I live in the South. You lose your religion, you're going to go find another one to substitute it. Now, Star Wars is a yeah. bad religion to substitute, but you can even see it in the the fandom within Star Wars why they're so angry by any of anything that looks like it's, you know, heresy. They are literally reacting to The Last Jedi or the latest episode of The Mandalorian or whatever it is because they don't have anything else because they've been told they're embarrassed to even want to... I don't believe they're just embarrassed to be... Maybe I should go to church. Maybe those yeah. maybe those, maybe those, those people going to church on Sunday don't have a... aren't wrong because they have a community. They have a thing that they believe in. You don't... And I, and I say this all the time, like, there's a fundamental difference between the religion and the spirituality behind it. There's, you know, this is, these are stories. All stories are metaphorically true. And the commies like to turn around and try and make, you know, say, well, they not only have to be metaphorically true, but they also have to be historically accurate so that we can fact check you into, into you know, and like, no, you're missing the whole point of faith, by the way, which is that faith is an expression of our ability to relate to each other and relate to our place within the universe. And then a reminder, then also to remind everybody, oh, by the way, the universe is hostile to your presence and wants to kill you. So you you might want to make your peace with that, but we live in this weird-ass land of plenty because money's been so cheap for so many, for so fucking long that everybody's like, yeah, but we can always feed everybody. Yeah, really? You know, you know how that's working out for you. You do realize that it's a whole bunch of based older guys going out there and making sure that they're climbing the electrical poles and you know putting the you know keeping the lights on and you know going out every day and farming those fields and doing the thing and you know 
you you know plumbers don't just happen don't just spring out of holes in the ground because you punch seven numbers into your iphone okay <laughs> and then get a guy on the other end of the phone like that plumber had to be trained you know, you know what's funny about that fixes your air conditioning <laughs> has to be trained the, the funny the funny part of that shit is that there's people that actually believe that if I dial seven numbers, somebody will appear, and the miracle occurs, and then somebody a miracle shows occurs. Yeah, it's like the underpants and gnome, right? You know, yeah, it's like a miracle occurs. Steel <laughs> underwear, dot dot dot, profit. Like it's Jesus, the same thing. It's, it's a, magical thinking yeah. that it just you know, it's 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 hilarious. You know, so well, let me ask you this because I, I I we're coming up on an hour, and I I promised you we would not go over an hour this time, so I want to give you some of your life <laughs> back, man. But every time you and I talk, it's it's like wow. But the, the 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 question I think most people want to know is, you know, how do you see the next couple of couple of months developing? What's your what's your not crystal ball, but based sure. on what you see right now, what do you see what happening I, in the next few months? So what I see right now of developing is um, watch the European Union, watch the European banking system very carefully. Because it's clear that the whole Trump indictment, from my perspective, was very clear. Like one day, Deutsche Bank is about to go, is about to be vaporized. And the next day, Donald Trump is being indicted. Oh, oh yeah, come on. Like, yeah, it's know, fucking noise. And then he's, in, he's indicted and arraigned. And then they're, they're going to sit on it for 10 until December. They're not going to do anything about this until December. Like, okay, really? All right. Yeah. Um, there, there's, real honest to god plumbing mechanisms and and things that have happened within the financial markets underneath un, under the, the the table we we alluded to some of them earlier about you know this massive rush into us treasuries it's not because there's a a recession on the horizon there is a recession on the horizon but it's not coming next week yield curve inversions are always harbingers of recession well yes when everything is when everything is kind of all working within one standard deviation of normala or nor, you know, normalcy. When you're three or four standard deviations from normalcy and people just need dollars, then how do you get dollars? Well, if you're Europe, you can't go to the American banks and get them because the American banks cut you off three years ago, four years ago. Jamie Dimon, first one to say, you know what? No. I'm, I'm not taking European sovereign debt trading at, you know, no, you know, trading at nosebleed valuations, 0.8, negative 0.8% on the German tenure. And I'm going to, I'm going to repo that to you at par for 14 days. Now you can go fuck yourself and we'll call it even. Okay. <laughs> so the Fed eventually had to step in and deal with this. So um, the Fed has control uh, over who gets dollars right now. And they're buying dollars from the Fed or they're buying treasuries from the Fed during repo and repo contracts at 5%. They're not buying them at 0% like Janet Yellen wants them to do. They're buying them at 5%. They're buying that collateral at 5%. This is a delaying action. I want you to watch the Bank of Japan very carefully. We're now, so I, I brought this talking point up about six or seven, six weeks ago or so. And I said, there's something going on here with the changeover in the leadership of the Bank of Japan. And I did a little back, did a little research and background on, you know, this guy Ueda, who's taken over for Kuroda. And 
asking then the bigger question, why did Amanita not take the job, even though it was offered to him? It's because Japan is going to fundamentally change their monetary policy. They're going to give up yield curve control. And when the Japanese give up yield curve control, it's going to knock the last pillar out from underneath the coordinated central bank system that Bernanke and Yellen and Draghi and you know um, Jens Weidmann and the rest of them put in place during and you know Kuroda and uh, whoever else you know the, and and the various heads of the Bank of England that have been that are various versions of globalist shitbag. Love that phrase, by the way. Glad <laughs> that the shitbag is making its way into the zeitgeist because it absolutely needs to. That's the best way to describe all these people. I, I liked Eurofags better. That was the Eurofag. Eurofags are good dub. too, but I like the shitbag is just a they're they're a subset of of, of shitbag. There's shitbags and then there's Eurofags, right? Um, all in the but, confluence of fuckery. <laughs> yeah, all within the confluence of fuckery. Exactly. So. Uh, that that made the rounds too. Uh, this cracks me up every time I hear it next. I'm like, I know where that came from. <laughs> but but the Bank of Japan, if they give up yield curve control, is gonna is gonna knock out the last bit of support that Lagarde has to maintain um the euro and credit spreads in the ranges that they're currently in. And once that happens, the European banking system will it'll come right back up and it'll burble right back up again. The Fed is, is it not, bad not that I want to see Lagarde thrown under a moving bus? I mean, because I really do. I want to see her thrown under a moving bus. Well, of all the shitbags that I don't no, like over there, she's one of them. I, I the don't want to um, be accused of inciting violence, so I just want to watch her neck scarves, um, um, Twitter and 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 flutter while she while she splutters and can't talk. And I that's you know I I mean. Christine, when Christine starts wearing red neck scarves, or when she sort of, yeah, to hide the fact that she's, that her blood pressure is like 200 over 120, then yeah. Um, but okay, I'll tell, take that. Yeah, a stro- who can a tell major what, you know, leather neck, you know, that she is. Yeah. Right? But so but the, 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 the thing is, yeah, Lagarde is, is uniquely evil. God. Right? And um, of all the shit bags over there, she's the one that gets under my skin the most. Because she has unilaterally done more damage to the whole place than anybody well, else. I, I'm at the point now where I, I I reserve a lot of my real anger, not Lagarde. Lagarde, I think at this point is just she's just she's captured. She doesn't she doesn't have any power. It's Yellen who is the biggest obstacle to the Fed winning. What yeah, I see that's happening true. that's true. What yeah. I see happening now is going to be a very ugly fight over the debt ceiling, and Yellen, Nancy Pelosi will be replaced by Janet Yellen to try and win the day for Davos and force the and try and force some kind of Fed pivot. Daniel DiMartino Booth is making this point all the time that if the that if the um the Matt Gateses in Congress hold the try and hold the line and and there's no deal over the debt ceiling for months on end and then Yellen comes in and has to dump you know, a trillion dollars worth of short-term T-bills on the market, Powell's gonna, it's gonna force Powell's hand. So you want the debt ceiling problem to be resolved as quickly as possible. And you want to hope that Diamond at Al put the right backroom pressure on McCarthy to not give Yellen anything and then force the debt ceiling to just be raised with any strings attached to it as quickly as possible 
which will allow Powell to continue doing what he needs to do. The OPEC gave him the biggest, it was the funniest thing What is the other day, the OPEC production cut that was announced spikes the price of oil by five bucks in the overnight markets. And I looked at it and I went, oh, so cost push inflation is now back on the table because we're going to have commodity inflation as oil now starts to rise because of the supply and demand mismatch. Oil is going to push back towards 100 bucks a barrel while we have credit deflation. Replay of 2008 all over again. Credit deflation, commodity inflation. You wind up with effectively stagflation under that scenario. You're going to wind up with a massive reorganization of the U.S. labor market, a massive problem brew in commercial back and commercial real estate. So commercial mortgage-backed securities and all that rest of it. All those talking points are absolutely spot on. I don't disagree with any of them. It's going to be ugly. It's going to suck. But we have the liquidity and we have the ability to deal with it domestically within the U.S. because we are not also trying to bail out Europe at the same time. No, Europe has to come to us and do the walk of shame and belly up to the Fed's central foreign central bank equivalent of the discount window, which is FIMA, final. The do you see that happening people. before they move over to Cypher? Or do you see that happening after they move uh, to before Cypher? Before over to Sofer, it's already happening. Sofer, yeah. Because I think happened. that... The funny I the think funniest that's thing big... happened, I, I missed this. Again, I, I can't hit everything. But I do follow the right people, so the right people. I don't know. We, we've hit a lot. I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm just now going to re relay what Martin Armstrong reminded us of uh, about a week ago. I think on a private blog post, he said, "Look, um, FIMA was the European Union. The ECB hit FIMA for sixty billion dollars worth the worth the U.S. Treasuries. Wow! During the Credit Suisse thing, and." You know, yeah, and the Fed came out and said, "Hey, you know, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep this we'll keep the dollar swap lines open, and we'll charge the ECB the going rate, the same rate that we would charge a small, powerless regional bank that's now you know flat on its back and has to go to the discount window." Lagarde has already done the walk of shame multiple times. It's awesome. This is the best thing you can ever imagine because what it's saying is that they don't have the dollars and they don't have the bank the collateral within the, because once you impair the 18-1 cocoa bonds now all the banks had to go scramble around to fill the holes in their balance sheet because the whole 18-1 market was off 15 percent after the snb you know rolled up ubs and credit suisse and told the eu to go fuck itself with the fed's blessing <laughs> Yeah, I like it when you put a context like that. I'm like, that's easy now to I'm see. Gonna, now I'm going to do my Jamie Dimon impression. I could do this job from home. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. That's awesome. I, I, so you, you, you see the, the dollar still got legs because there's a there's a bunch of doom prophets saying the dollar's dead and it's going to no, be dead tomorrow. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. I'd also, I also, at the same time, but at the same time, like, you know, a lot of the the dollar bulls that are out there, guys like Brent Johnson, dollar milkshake theory. And Brent's not wrong about most of that. But what he is wrong about is rep repeating the Jeff Snyder talking point that the euro dollar system is a free market response against the Federal Reserve central planning. I'm like, oh, that is the biggest dog whistle. 
that you either are one ignorant of how this shit works or two an operative. He's an operative. Let's assume he's an operative. I, I don't I, want to look, assume anything I, I have... about anybody. I've never spoken to Brent directly, but when I see something like that, I, that's that was the day when I saw that same talking point out of Jeff Snyder. I'm like, oh, he either doesn't get it or he's working for somebody else. And then when he got, you know, he got he got removed from Alhambra Partners where he'd been writing and hanging out and been there for what 10, 12 years, and then summarily he was shown the door two or three weeks after he made that statement. Now. Joe Calhoun, who runs Alhambra Partners, that motherfucker's based. So <laughs> you read into that whatever you want. I'm not trying to, you know, again, I don't, I, I and I, I, I name names because we have to name names. The hour is late, Sauron's forces are moving, and Gandalf was just rescued from the Tower of Orthanc. Okay? Like, we don't have fucking time to play around and, and mollycoddle people's freaking egos. We no. have shit that needs to get done. And no. I don't have any... You and, and I, I share that. You and I share that. I've, I've, you know, I've called in, out some people this from week, a too. Financial, from a financial perspective, I'm in military mode. You have to be. We're, we're in the 11th hour. And yes. this is the part that... This is the part that gets, again, because I've, you know, I've, I've called out some people just in the last couple of weeks that, you know, I've, I've got a... I've got a group here that for the last two years, we've we've been working diligently to uncover shit like the uh, intergovernmental agreements, the CDC signed with the counties and working to uncover all of the malfeasance with all the voting systems and with all the, the board of supervisors and all of the 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 backroom deals like, you know, Ben Toma, who's the, the president of the Senate right now or speaker of the House. His brothers sit on the board of Runbeck, which is the, the people who print the ballots for Arizona. No conflict of interest there. It was my team that brought that brought all this stuff to light. And I've got people from outside the state that are that are trying to interdict, not just in the in the team, but in the show. And, you know, one of them is pretty well known. And I, you know, I put it out that said, hey, you know, stay the fuck out of my my AL right now, because the one thing we need at the 11th hour is unity. That's this the piece that's getting in front of unity is all the shit bags that are doing exactly what you just said. They're either an operative that are trying to disrupt any movement and any unity, or they're saying things just because they're ignorant and they're trying to get clicks. Either way, that has to stop now. It has so, to. you know, yeah. and, and and I get I know I give it I give it equally to the gold bugs and to the Bitcoin maxis and to the Fed haters, the libertarians, and like, look, don't be useless eaters for people you hate. Are not useful either. Don't be useful idiots for people you hate. Yeah. You're on the right side of the argument in the long run. But right now, you have to make, you know, I got news for you. The world is complicated. The world's dirty. And you're going to have to get off of your friggin' white horse and get down and dirty and pick up a sword and start fighting for real. Like, that's my yeah. position. You know, no, I hate my to say it, but you probably spot here on. has nothing to do with my analysis. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think you're spot on. I, I think that the one of the things I like about you and that, that that drew me to you in the first place was the fact that you're you don't you're unapologetically raw about things, and I'm the same way because now is not a time to sugarcoat things. You have to talk right to the problem, talk right to the solution, 
and not fuck around with people's feelings because feelings are what got us here, right? How many, how many general officers do I know that, well, number one, still aren't in the fight. And number two, we're sitting there silent because they're afraid to say anything. I'm like, you're a fucking general officer. What's wrong with you? I'm a lieutenant colonel. Jesus Christ, get in the fight. What is wrong with you? But you'd be surprised how many people are deathly afraid. So just to round this out, sure. What if you could say anything to to not just my audience, but your audience right now for the next several months, what would it be? And Remain yeah, I'm putting flexible. you on the spot because you're good at this. Remain flexible. Remain flexible in your thinking. Remain flexible in what asset classes you are invested in. You know, don't be religious about, oh, Bitcoin is the solution or gold is the solution or whatever. None of those things are real. Watch what you're, none of that is true. You don't have a crystal ball. So prepare yourself mentally and emotionally. Make as many local bonds as possible. Stay friends with people. Find value in everybody you can. And because when the, it, because it's going to get ugly for people. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night. He just got, just, he just, his contract didn't get renewed. He's between jobs. He's an older dude. You know, I'm not telling, I'm not going to tell you what, 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 you know, I'm not going to tell you what, what, what industries he's in, but you know, it, he can't find work. You know, like the sincere, I'm like, if I had no money coming in, I know what I would be doing. Not leaving my house and not spending anything. Yeah. Okay. So. Cutting yeah. your expenses you know, and. Like it's, you know, get your, get your lifestyle under control. I've been saying this for years, but same thing. But now it's, it's about, don't be distracted by the noise, but remain flexible. The people who've been wrong for the last 15 years are going to be wrong tomorrow. Stop listening to them. <laughs> you really sound like me. <laughs> I say I say the same thing, only I say disconnect to connect with people, disconnect from technology, ignore social media, ignore the news, go out and make human connections, build your sphere of influence, and and build your community because that's what's going to build a community. Know, ultimately, that's what's going to carry you through. This so, is what... Well, we didn't realize this when when we were. I didn't realize this was going to happen when I started this thing, and um, you know, the more that it's formalized itself into a real, ongoing concern, and you know, Dexter and I have realized now that it, what we have is we're building a community. We're not really building, you know, we're not selling people a newsletter. We're not selling people a stock pick. We're selling yeah. them sense making. We're selling them projection. And we're selling them the ability to air their ideas in a forum where they won't be censored so that we can knock ideas around off of each other. You can journal your what's in your head. I give you a space to journal this stuff into your in, into your uh into the world. That's what I'm doing. All I'm doing is like taking all the crap that's in my head and burping it out into the world for me to make sense of it. Yeah, but so you're creating critical I, I make thinking sense too. of it, then. I help everybody else make sense of it. Yeah. And then and you're building me. critical thinking into the, you're baking it into the cake, right? Because mm -hmm. people critically think when they listen to you, like I watched you with Mel K and I, I'm not a fan of Mel K's, right? 
a variety of reasons because of some of the shit that she she peddles. But that said, you did an interview with her that I thought was very interesting because it was a side of her that I never saw. But more importantly, you talked about Star Trek and how Star Trek is a is a uh, campy. God, what was the word you use? Campy communist um, thought thought something. It was priceless. I wish I would have remembered. I should have wrote it down. But your point was very salient with her, and her point was even more salient to you. And that is that the that, that the uh, homosexual mafia has taken over Hollywood. And then you guys went back and forth about that for about 15 minutes. And I was like, you know, that's an aspect I never looked at. So I got to give her credit. But what I what I zeroed in on was your comments about, you know, sci-fi is a way to communicate with the communicate complex issues with a bunch of different um, demographics that normally would not see those those narratives or any of those complex stories anywhere else. Right. Right. I've always had a problem with the whole Star Trek crowd in the sense that it's always this campy horseshit. It's like the Avengers and and all that. You know, you watch the Avengers, but if you like, I one of my curses is I can't watch movies anymore, right? Because having done you know the the information warfare space for so long, I see all the themes and marriage narratives in every single movie, and it just drives me crazy. Like you can see all of these themes from Davos in every every sure. Marvel movie. Every, yeah, I, well, it's, it's no, no different. It's like going back and watching the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar. Have you yeah. have you seen Hail Caesar? Yeah, I, and watching the commies run around and and oh, we embedded the dude into the and like you're watching the, and you know and, and and a fair criticism of that movie is that oh look they're 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 telling you that the commies are more, are really morons when they're actually really dangerous. But no, that's not, that movie actually told you quite explicitly they are they are morons and they are dangerous. Which yeah, is the and they're coming for which you. Is, yeah, and that that was that was important. And um but I watched them looking for the nuggets of greatness that still are out there telling us good stories. And when I'm surprised by them. Yeah. And and I don't I remember can, the, the the director you were talking about that's still doing good stories. You said somebody and it was oh, I wish I remember who Chris it was. Nolan. Chris Nolan, that's who it was, yeah. Chris yeah, Nolan. Yeah. Chris Nolan is like the Chris Nolan, and I had a long story. I've, I've done podcasts on this. I've, 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 you know, and I'm like, I have a really, really tortured relationship with Chris Nolan because his first film, Memento, pissed me off to no end because it just felt to me like a pain to Marxist emotional manipulation through the through technical wizardry the editing of Memento. And I hated it for that reason. And I distrusted him because he kept coming up with these, all of his plots were, you know, for all the Batman movies and, and whatnot. We're all uh, interstellar and this, not like, oh, you're going to continue to give us the Davos party line of, well, humanity is destroying itself with and needs clean energy. What, what Nolan was doing was sandbagging, was sandbagging Hollywood. Like in order to tell his incredibly important based story about reconnecting with people, about building real connections, and about what the the hero's role and the and what what the hero's role really is, he sold to Hollywood what they wanted to see because they're actually because the people who run these studios are that shallow. Oh, they just they, see dude, they, there hasn't been a new idea in Hollywood in 25, 30 years. Right. And it's that, the and, same. And, 
bullshit regurgitated over and, and over, that's, and over and that's and that's the point. And when you see and when you see two good, you know, and when you know, so in Star Wars, when you see two good Italian boys, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, and you watch their work carefully as artists. Even when they, okay, not everything they put out is not every episode of The Bad Batch or The Clone Wars or The Mandalorian are, are good or Book of Boba Fett, good. I, I don't know. I thought Mandalorian is, was, for the first two seasons, were were genius. Absolute they are. genius. And, and, and what's interesting is that this season, I was just, I've been watching the third season with a very weather eye because the tone, because it's very clear that the tone's season changed. Three, season three, they had to change a lot of the production staff because now, yeah. and, and so, there's a lot. So they changed DPs, they changed editors, they changed the, a whole lot of the production staff. Because look, you were the dude who was the DP on the Mandalorian. You got it, and you got an upgrade. You're not you're not making features. You're not doing you're not doing Star Wars live action on a volume. You know, okay. I mean, I get it. But it happens. Yeah. So, so there's a tonal shift in season three of the Mandalorian. But I've been watching it very carefully, and I rewatched. And I watched them by myself. And my wife is gone, going back and watching it, so I was rewatching it again with a, with a weather eye. The story they're telling was kind of the story I was expecting them to tell, but they're telling it through differently than I expected. The story for the season three of The Mandalorian is the religious zealots are the ones who are going to restore Mandalore, yeah. and not the religious zealots are going to be torn down and shown the more modern way of integrating back into the galaxy. That's the story. And Bo-Katan, not a good character, who's a terrible character, who's a terrible person, is being redeemed through the Mandalorian's steadfast ethos. This is the way. And yep. yeah, okay, so you know the the episodes in terms of quality are up and down and whatnot, but the story itself is absolutely necessary because you cannot have a return to the king, the return, the, the restoration of Mandalore without the reuniting of all the tribes and the male and the female. But we live in this world where anything female is now considered. An, uh, a toxic inversion of classic storytelling and, and to the to the to the to the crowd that is worried about this that anything that hints of reuniting the male and the female within our society that's anathema that's wrong that's bad like oh so you've become the fucking sjws of the right and and they're being amplified everywhere on social media and on youtube and everything else on and i've been saying i and i've seen this i've been see i've been bitching about this for six years with star wars since the day after <laughs> the last jedi came out you because know what's Ryan funny Johnson, about this conversation though is that you're you're saying what you're saying though is that they're telling the story regardless of the political environment and the story has to be told that way because it's not just it's not just that it is going to sell this way. It's because that's how the story has to go in order for the society to be rebuilt. And there's no right. amount of political or gender horseshit they could throw into it that could change that. Because at the end of the day, at least John Favreau understands that 
society only comes back together one way, right? We're already seeing the pendulum swing the other way. Yeah, People are so it's sick of this, there. And, and, this and, trans and bullshit. And, that... and, 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 and they're running and then, and then take it one step further and go watch fucking Andor, dude. Like, Andor is amazing. Like, if you didn't it, watch it season is... one of Andor... Dude, it took me a while to get into it, but I was like, now I understand where they're going with it. But that brings up, so we got to do a whole episode just on sci-fi, I'm telling you, because we haven't even dug into SG-1 or Stargate or any, because I'm a Stargate fan, right? And I have so many criticisms of Stargate because it's like, mm. but I never watched, Star I didn't watch SG-1 other than when Ben Browder and Claudia Black came on the show because I was a huge Farscape fan. And I knew you were going to tell me that. I, I oh, somehow I, fucking, I knew you were a Farscape fan. I fucking Gosh. love Farscape, John. <laughs> I, if, if my wife would leave me, I, I if my if John Crichton walked into the room tomorrow and my my wife would leave me for him, and I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Um, okay, <laughs> like, we it's a joke that's been running between Camille and I for uh, twenty five years now. That uh, is funny, but, man. And that's I and, we, and I did watch, but I actually really like Stargate Atlantis um, for the first, certainly and. For the first three seasons, I thought Stargate Atlantis was just great ensemble. You know, it was just it was great writing and great ensemble acting. It was a good it was a good show. It, it, and but Stargate SG One, I just never got into. But I but there's a I, but there's, I didn't either. I, I it took me a while to get into it. But it's here's the the thing that got me into it was not the storyline. The storyline was just you know evil, evil, evil. SG one's down against the ropes, evil, evil, evil. SG one right. saves the day. You know the right. standard recipe, right? What got, what got me was towards season four and season five. I stuck with it because there's ten seasons of it, right? When I got through season four and season five, I started to see the military aspect of that and the relationships in the military start to develop in a way that was real. And you know, I'll say a lot of things about Richard Dean Anderson, but one thing that guy really was good at is he portrayed that that calculated distance you have between you and your people and it was cool to get to see that play out on the screen because people people don't understand it right when you're when you're a company commander or a battalion commander there's you tell yourself everybody's equal but that's not true because in every unit you have the, the you have the comedian that brings everybody together you've got the you've got the the organizer that keeps everybody squared away you've got the the informal leader that keeps everybody on task and you have this this dynamic that develops in the in the unit that's really infectious especially when it's a really tight knit unit and then when you go into when you go into into a combat zone and one of those guys get killed it's it's a gut shot to the whole unit and you see all of that happen in seasons 4 through 7 in in SG1 where they lose somebody that's pivotal and it's it's the only time I've seen in in any series where you can viscerally see how that affects the organization because mm. it really does, right? That right. was the only thing yeah. that caught that really I was interested in, right? And you know, the some of the storylines were, you know, yeah. they were hokey. Some of them were just not well thought out. But uh Atlantis was good until they got into the deep wraith stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, just the first, you know, nuke first the wraith, three seasons, get it when they when they fired when they fired Tori I, I when they fired Tori Higginson, I was like, I'm out. Um, <laughs> that was it. I was like, because, you know, it was because that was because the, the, the tension between the civilian and the military stuff in that show really worked. The, the doctor, was it did work. Yeah, yeah. It all worked really, I, I really well. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you, um, um, uh, on that note, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers for the bad batch season two, but if you haven't watched the bad batch season two yet, 
that's exactly what you're dealing with. What you just described is the way the Bad Batch was created. It's the way the the, the that unit operates, uh, the five of them. And a lot of season two is them having to be splintered and they're and they're off and and then there's a tragedy at the end of season two and setting up uh what no, you can I gotta see go ben watch. Be ugly breakdown Thanks. for the next season. And Thanks. so appreciate that bin, that binge watching uh, imperative now because you know oh absolutely the, oh the bad watch is absolutely binge watchable it's so good <laughs> well I, what, we could go on and on and on but I want to give you some of your life back dude it's always hella fun to have, to, to have a conversation with you because you you're completely on my sheet of sheet of music every single time I talk to you the uh what my I know I'm gonna get asked to do this um again I I don't have time until next month. It'd probably be mid-May for me before I can get back to it. We'll, but... get, we'll, we'll, we'll round up. Let's round up. Let's look to, to round up somewhere in uh, probably June. I, I know my dance card is going to be very ugly for the next couple of yeah, months. Yeah, me too. So. Yeah, me too. All right, so, brother. And well, I also it, don't like to do anyone's show that often, to be honest with you. So, you know. I don't know, man. It's pretty It's, it's pretty, pretty good conversation. We've, we covered a lot of ground and it's been. Uh, yeah, we did. I think it's interesting. All right, brother. Well, I'm glad that you could be on and and thanks again for making the time, man. It really means a lot to me. I have no problem, Steve. No problem. Do it again. It's it's, right. it's it's imperative. I one last thing I'm going to say before we leave. One of my talking points for a long time was that we worry about the military and we know that Obama got rid of all of the loyal generals to the United States and put them put political hacks in place. And I've always said that it's going to be the, the full bird colonels and the lieutenant colonels that will decide the fate of the U.S. military versus the American people. Yeah. Part of the reason why I'm doing this show, dude. There's still people, there's still people in the military like me that are, that are, I'm, look, I'm just like you. I'm in the fight till it's over. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not making money off this. I'm not monetizing any of this. I'm not selling anything. I'm doing this to get people to wake up and realize that. And, Believe this or not, I did a uh, live chat with Pete Chambers, and I n have never seen in any of my live chats that many feel great officers in one place than right. I did in that live chat. And it gave me a lot of hope because there's a lot of people just like me that are starting to realize we got to come together. So the word's getting out. People are starting to pay attention. Just give it some time, and, and you're going to have the right people in the right places. That's what, and I that's think we have what we can hope for. That's all yeah. we can hope for. Thank you, Steve. You have a great night now. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. You too, brother. Take care.